now's the time to enter in through the door of my mercy. For those who don't enter into the door of my mercy must enter in through the door of my justice. And, and that's just it, exactly what you're getting at, Sam. And this is the mystery that we men need to wrestle with when we are showing mercy by forgiving true and real injustices so that we can not only heal ourselves, but we can reconcile our differences and build those relationships and help us grow to something else. Because if we don't, we kill each other. In the end, that's exactly it. If we don't reconcile these differences, Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of The Catholic Gentleman. We are so blessed that you have decided to join us. We're your hosts, John Heinen, Sam Guzman, and Devin Shad. If this is your first episode listening with Devin on, we are grateful that you are here. Hopefully you'll come back for some more. Devin is the executive director of the Father of St. Joseph, a close friend of ours, and a new co-host officially on The Catholic Gentleman. So Devin, how are you doing today? How is life? Doing, doing well. How about you? Good, good. Yeah, I'm busy and uh, we already chat a little bit about um, Halloween and the World Series victory here with uh, the Rangers. And uh, so any of our Arizona fans out there, I apologize. Sorry, not sorry. No, I'm joking. I'm, I'm uh, <laughs> you know, it's quite, quite the, uh, quite the uh, um, excitement in, in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex area for the Rangers finally winning a World Series. But um, Sam, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, I'm currently hot here in Oklahoma, despite it being November but we'll we'll make it. Uh, <laughs> That's right. God's will be done. So what we want to talk about today, right? Three signs your enemies are destroying your life. This is this is a fun topic. And let me just say that if you are uh, enjoy what we're saying, if you've enjoyed what we've been saying, a great way to support the Catholic Gentleman is, and to get more of this, is to head over to Catholic Gentleman Plus. So if you head over to Catholic Gentleman Plus, you're going to get um, basically twice, uh, two times longer uh, episode where we go into double the amount of topics and double amount of uh, of rules and principles and things like that to help men uh, grow in holiness. In addition to that, we also have tons of monthly sessions coming out on different spiritual themes, this month being fatherhood. Uh, we For annual subscriptions, we send you a quote book that we designed and a handful of other um, goodies. So head over to Catherine Jobin Plus, click on that link in the show notes. And before we talk, I want to offer a shout out and thanks to our show sponsor, um, the Catholic Woodworker, uh, make incredible rosaries. And we'll talk more about that uh, later on in the episode. So I wanted to actually start in really turning to you, Sam, as the mental health counselor in the room is why do we have so many enemies today? I mean, we're triggered nonstop, right? There's this, you know, hateful comments in the com boxes. There's just ad hominem attacks uh, everywhere, even bleeding over, I would say, into our personal interactions with people. People uh, are less, you know, kind. There is a certain degree mm -hmm. of, you know, this this sort of culture of contempt, as we've talked about, or this, you know, victim mentality where 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 other people have to be shamed for me to live the life that I want to live and and how I want to live and. And I and 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 so that we don't get the wrong impression right out of the gate, there are victims, right? There are people that have, have indeed been uh, perpetrator, uh, sorry, uh, perpetrated against or have been really abused, and and we're not justifying any of that. But this sort of um, me first, you know, individual identity is supreme, and the world needs to change its views to that. Seems to be more and more. Um, prevalent and something that we are all having to wrestle with uh, throughout our days. And so I wanted to hear from you, Sam, a little bit of, of 
why do you think we have so many enemies? Why do you think it is that uh, that we turn and create enemies where maybe there aren't, um, but where we're so hurt in this mass media, social media, you know, social trust negative uh, society? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, that, that's a huge topic, uh, but I, <laughs> I guess episode. I can look at it from two two different dimensions. One's one um, is more of a philosophical, and one is kind of um, a, a neuroscience perspective. Um, mm. but, but one is uh, philosophically speaking. I think this kind of goes back to the rise of a couple of things. One is uh, materialistic thinking. Um, you know, you look at uh, the 1800s, uh, mid 1800s or so, like Charles Darwin, this idea of survival of the fittest. Competition is the name of the game. You've got to be the alpha. You've got to be the, you know, Jordan Peterson's violence, like the top lobster. And like there's this idea of, of just competition, survival, this kind of cutthroat uh, approach to life. Simultaneously kind of rising with that. Um, for a number of reasons that are too far to get into here, but like the rise of like capitalism and consumerism um, that kind of went hand in hand with this materialistic thinking where life is the spiritual dimensions kind of disappeared. The, 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 you know, the heavens have kind of closed uh, at a popular level. And, and, and it's all about, you know, again, competition, the marketplace. It's all about uh, enriching yourself uh, more and more and more. But in order to enrich yourself, you have to eliminate the competition uh, that's also competing for resources. And so like at a, at a mass level, like the culture really took on this emphasis of, of materialism, competition. And then, of course, media enters the picture early in you know, the 20th century that foments this, this disconnection that we all feel from each other. There's this distance where it's like most for America for a long time was these small little villages you know, people knew everybody. And even if you didn't like someone, you still had to interact with them all the time. Mm. And so you had to learn to get along with people. Mm. Um, and so again, like media started buffering us from that. Um, and, you know, the entertainment industry, instead of singing and dancing together, we pay other people to sing and dance for us, you know, where it's like, there's just this atomization of society driven by, you know, like economic forces that are seeking the compete with and eliminate anything like spiritual uh, connections um, and, you know, even religious communities like churches started to disintegrate, you know, start, you know, bleeding members. Uh, and really it just kind of, uh, they, it's good for the competition, for the, the market, for the economy, for us to be all at each other's throats. Um, you know, competition, yeah. they call it, they even call it like, you know, creative destruction where it's like you have to <clears throat> divide and conquer uh, in order to feed the marketplace. So I don't want to get too far off into philosophical, but I think that's one, like the culture is really feeding this. Yeah. The other thing that's really interesting from like a neuroscience perspective, and this is an interesting like chicken or the egg thing, which came first. I think they're both tied together, but they're talking about how the left hemisphere of the brain sees the world entirely different than the right hemisphere of the brain. And they know this because they using like magnets and things like that. They can shut off a whole hemisphere of the brain and allow you to see um, different scenarios through one or the other. But the left hemisphere of the brain doesn't see life. It only sees objects, objects to be used. It's very utilitarian. Um, and they, the, with the, the research that they've done, they've discovered that like the left hemisphere of the brain has actually been increasing in size 
uh, in the research subjects that they uh, discovered in the last you know 100 years or so. Um, and this is significant because the left brain is incredibly competitive. Um, it's manipulative, it's controlling, it's competitive, it wants to destroy anything that stands in its way. It's very like goal-directed, but it doesn't see anything as living, including other human beings. Uh, so if anyone stands in your way, they're just an object to be eliminated or uh, they're an object to be used, which we yeah. see with abortion, with pornography, um, with all kinds of different dimensions of our society today where you don't see that other person on the other side of the screen as a real human being. They're just an enemy to be eliminated through, you know, your arguments or your, you know, your hateful speech or whatever. Um, and and on, in the right hemisphere of the brain is the one that, that sees life, that sees, that can imaginatively project yourself into someone else's shoes, see things from their perspective through an act of imagination and that builds like empathy, cons consideration for the impact of your actions on other people. But that's slowly shrinking, you know, mm -hmm. in, in the, the Western world. And that's very concerning because, you know, again, mm -hmm. it's like, which came first? Well, I, I think, again, there's like this feedback loop that happens, right? Like the more power you give, you know, to one way of seeing the world, the more it grows stronger and affects you even at a biological level. So I I'm, uh, so hope that wasn't too much, but like, I do think that there is this competitive uh, cutthroat, materialistic, atomized way of seeing the world that, uh, you know, leads us into seeing other people, not as people with an inner life that's just as real as our own, but as objects to be eliminated, competed with, uh, destroyed whatever, uh, instead of as living souls that are worthy of love and respect. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that, Sam, because I think it's important for us to understand the roots of the problems for us, you know, to diagnose it, if you will, so that we can better understand what our calling is today as Catholic men who are trying to live a virtuous life and trying to live above this. And I liked what you said about how, you know, this sort mm -hmm. of individualism, this sort of pitting each other against each other is is a sign of, of, you know, profit motivation or even a sign of maybe the social media, right? That's actually, I, when you were talking, I thought about Oz Guinness and about a decade ago, I remember him saying that um, it, today is the age of the self and the selfie. I post, therefore I am, you know? And it's like this <laughs> idea that to find our identity, to find our personhood, you know, we have to put on this image. And, and I think it's important for us to realize that our forgiveness you know, our receiving forgiveness from God is conditioned on our forgiving others. That's the only condition. The only condition is that you must show mercy to others. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And Christ has some pretty strong words for those who won't forgive other people, but who expect free, full forgiveness from God, but they're harboring bitterness and anger and hatred towards others. You know, and of course, he told parables, you know, of, of, of the servant who wouldn't forgive a small debt when his huge debt had been forgiven and things like that, where this was a theme in Christ's ministry. This wasn't just a tangential, you know, mm -hmm. offhanded comment that Jesus made. Like, this was a central theme of his ministry was that your forgiveness, you know, God's absolutely willing to lavishly forgive a huge mountain of sins, but on the condition that you must forgive others as well those mm. who've hurt you those who've offended you so this is no small this is no small matter i think that raises a serious question or a serious idea 
is that do we even believe that we sin? Because I think that when we hear forgive others as you wish to be forgiven, if you do not forgive your enemy, you will not be forgiven. But I think a lot of people these days don't even know what a sin is and they don't think that they actually have great sins or that they need forgiveness. And I, th- to me, that's really fundamental to all of this. St. Thomas Aquinas, he says, what's a sin? He says, a sin is when we take away from God's right when we prefer our will to God's will. Okay, full stop. We we need to stop right there because this is the Catholic definition of sin. This isn't a just a a willy-nilly Protestant kind of idea of sin, you know, just missing the mark or whatever. This is you take away God's right. Okay? When we prefer our will to his will. That's a sin. Okay. So then I got to think, okay, how often in the day do I prefer my will to God's will? If we, if St. John says, if we say we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Mm -hmm. So all our trespassers all have fallen short of the glory of God and all have sinned. And therefore what's incumbent upon us is that we have a holy fear coupled with humility but also the hope that we will be forgiven. But the point though, I think, is that we don't think we have a great debt. And that's why I love the parable of the unforgiving servant that you just mentioned, because, and this is what kind of bothers me about the USCCB's uh, uh, lectionary, is that the the translation is so bad. It's, he owed a large debt. Okay, so is that $3,000, I mean, he owed a large sum of money. Big deal, you know? No, you know what it says? In the actual translation is that he owed 10,000 talents. A talent was 19, the equivalent of 19 years worth of wages. So basically this guy owed 190,000 lifetimes Get that, 190,000 lifetimes of, of money to his master. Now, put this in perspective, 190,000 lifetimes, if you worked 40 years in your lifetime, I mean, we are talking, if you lived for every generation to the beginning of Adam and Eve, you mm-hmm. still would not be able to pay off that debt, assuming yeah. you gave every penny to that master. This is a huge debt. And what is what is Jesus saying? This is a debt that we all owe. We all owe the 10,000 talents. We don't imagine that we owe that much, but we do. And then what does this guy do? He's pleased with him. Master, please forgive me. Please release me from my debt. Because the master is going to sell his wife and his children and himself into slavery. And the master has pity on him. That's our God. Because we ask for forgiveness. Whoever comes to me, I will never reject, Jesus says. And then what happens? He goes out and sees a guy who owes him a year's worth, a hundred pence, a year's worth of debt, and he throttles him. And, you know, people are worried about this, you know, rightfully so. The point here is this, is this is what we do all the time. We think we have no sin or that our sin is so little. And because we're not really doing a proper self-evaluation of the effect that our sin has on everyone else. And therefore, we go out through social media or whatever, and we throttle other people's necks. You're guilty. You're to blame. I'm going to self-justify, etc. Meanwhile, we owe the 10,000 10, talents. 
So I think that fundamentally, this is the problem is that we do not recognize our great need for mercy. Amen. I think that's uh, spot on. And I, I do when, when each of these episodes in preparation for them is a great opportunity for me to examine myself and then to realize, and I think that we'll go into some of it now when we turn to these three signs uh, that your enemies are destroying your life and you know keeping you from living virtues and living that happy life because it's important for our listeners, ourselves included, to reflect on these things on a regular basis, not just once a year, not just, um, you know, quarterly, right? But uh, as the great uh, um, spiritual fathers always talked about, just these nightly examines, right? We're really reflecting on these things nightly. And and I don't, I, I fail at that. I mean, I, I'm not trying to put any of us on a pedestal, right? But I try, right? And I think that that's what, that's what we're getting at here. So the first one that we want to talk about, and uh, this one, I think, they're all so good, but this one was uh, eye-opening to me when I first finally started realizing this. We bring it up frequently on The Catholic Gentleman, um, but it's this unresolved anger, or as I like to say, being held a slave to this emotion of anger. And, um, and I want our listeners to reflect on that because it's really important to discern, okay, there's this individual that wronged me. There's this individual that quite literally did me uh, an injustice and that I was the victim of an injustice. And that, I, man, they make me angry. And every time I think about them, I just want to rip their head off and I want to yell at them and I want them uh, to suffer. But that point is, is this anger is controlling you. It is controlling your actions. And if you haven't been aware of that, it seeds into the rest of your life. It seeds into your, your relationship with family and friends, it seeds into your relationship with your children, with your spouse, et cetera. When this anger is something that's unresolved, that anger is, is overwhelming, and frankly, you've been held in bondage to it. So I want to start with that one, and I want to pass it over to you, Devin, and get your thoughts on this first sign that your enemies are really controlling your life. That is so good that is spot on is that your unforgiveness is allowing your enemy to still have a hold on your life. So good. St. Helm, I believe it was St. Augustine. I could be getting this wrong. You guys will probably know, but St. Augustine said that um, unforgiveness is like giving someone else the poison, but you die from it, <laughs> you know, and, and that's exactly what unforgiveness is. You are dying from your own anger and bitterness and resentment. And so it's a boomerang effect really. So, and I understand uh, I was abused you know, my entire childhood. I've had content stolen from me. I've had people betray me. I've had terrible things happen to me, but I am just telling you that when you hold that anger and that bitterness, that resentment, that grudge, and you ruminate over it, binds you and it slaves you. And, and so really what's going on here, and this is fundamental, is that there are two things. We believe that God did not will that or allow that. Second, therefore, we blame the other person for our circumstances. Mm. And, and so ask yourself, who do I blame for my problems? My parent, my spouse, my, my, my child, you know, my employer. These are really good questions because when you start to get into who am I blaming, that shows where your anger, your bitterness, your resentment is unresolved. Unresolved anger is lurking in the background. Or ask yourself, who am I jealous of? Who am I envious of? Because that's born of a resent that perhaps that person got something that maybe you thought you should have had. 
And therefore, your anger and your bitter toward them, maybe you haven't forgiven them for something they did to you to get ahead. I don't know. But I, I do know this. Uh, an example uh, from my own life, there is a person, I won't say male or female, who could not forgive their spouse. 35 years of marriage just could not forgive their spouse. So every conversation became accusational, blaming. This person then ended up having massive health problems from all the stress of not forgiving. And then what happens? It just becomes this vicious circle of blaming that spouse for my health problems, blaming my spouse for my stress. And this person is willing to go to their grave with all of this and, and been through tons of counselors and all the counselors like, you need to forgive, you need to let go. And that's the last thing that this, this person just continues to go from one counselor to another because they are wrong, I'm right. I need to get some kind of justice out of this, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is a problem. So unresolved bitter anger uh, is a true sign that you're allowing unforgiveness to undermine your life. Shifting from there, I want to talk about this next sign that your enemies are destroying your lives. And that next sign is this desire for vengeance. And so, Devin, will you share a little bit about this desire for vengeance and how it can eat us up? Well, yeah, I have so much experience with this desire for vengeance. <laughs> I should probably. <laughs> so, yeah, I think what can happen is you're right. So, justice, when, when an injustice is um, applied to us, immediately there is the response of just anger, the irascible passion, as St. Thomas Aquinas would say. But then if we do not, if we do not master that anger, it can quickly devolve or grow into vengeance where we desire punishment of the other person. So we desire physical, emotional harm, the defamation of their character. We begin to apply character assassination to them. We say things about them on the internet or talk to our friends about them. We'd want to do anything to get them back. We, we, we hope that they will get caught in a fire or that they'll rot in hell or whatever yeah. that is. And I think that the main thing here is, is that we've got to ask ourselves, when I think of that person who's done me an injustice, do I really want something bad to happen to them? You know, we hear all, I mean, with our governmental leaders, our hierarchical leaders, the prelates, I hear people talking about wanting bad things to happen to them. Oh, I just hope lightning strikes him before he does X, Y, or Z or whatever. Yeah. We we have to be so careful of this because this is not the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ, as St. Augustine says, is St. Augustine's, he said something about, um, be careful who you judge because you could judge the one who is sinning right now as being damned, but he may be the one who's forgiven. But you who are just right now, because of his sins, may end up being the one who's damned. You know, so we have to be very careful about the kind of justice that we desire. Okay. And vengeance, God says, is mine. I think that's in Ezekiel or is that Malachi? Yeah. He says, a vengeance is mine. It's not ours. So that we have to know our place in all of this. And vengeance is not going to win the day with forgiveness anyway. Yeah. And I appreciate that a lot. And I will say that this uh, idea of character defamation or the sin of detraction and backbiting is something we all have to really reflect on. And, um, and so, men, if you are unaware, the sin of backbiting can be mortal. It can be more, uh, a mortal sin. And I think that's really important to state, right? To actually intentionally try and 
ruin somebody's reputation or name, as Thomas Aquinas says in in the Summa, uh, the sin of backbiting can can actually be mortal because the name of a person and the reputation of the person is of such high value and it is of grave matter to intentionally defame that. Now, of course, he goes on uh, to talk about in situations where it's done for the good of the other or where you're not culpable for various reasons. Um, but I think we need to pause and talk about that a little bit is that right. if if in this act of vengeance, you are telling other people the third parties about this person's sin and about this person's failings because you are allowing that anger or frustration to control you and you want to see this vengeance you yourself have fallen into sin and to the level of that sin it can go it can go far i know we keep on going this, down this direction i want to get to the third uh way that uh you can know that your enemies are, are taking advantage of your life and, and destroying it and that third way is just having these obsessed thoughts uh, waiting for them to grovel and apologize back to you, right? We imagine these things. And I tell you, when my episode on on wealth um, or on, you know, winning the lottery and stuff, that this is a dangerous place to be in, is just imagining what if in the future, and that puts yourself into some position of self-justification in this case, where you're just looking for that person to come back to you. Because in the end, chances are, they might not. And uh, and if that's the case, then uh, you're just fueling that anger and that cycle that we're talking about just continues to um, to get worse. So, Sam, what are your thoughts about that final one and this idea of imagining somebody coming groveling back to you, hopefully on their knees, hopefully it was a long and arduous journey and, and they're they're finally uh, looking for apologies. Yeah, over broken glass, right? Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. like no, I think it's... Uh, it's <laughs> They're the old saying that like they're living rent free in your head, you know, where it's like you just obsess right. over it, you ruminate, you just turn it over and over. Uh, and but what I really I think the 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 truth is that they have power over you still. They're still hurting you, even though they may be even dead. You know, like I know people who, oh, who yeah. like they're the person yeah. who hurt them dead and gone, and they still are hurting them from the grave because they can't let it go. Um, and so I would just, I would just emphasize, like, uh, if you're, if you're ruminating, like the, you, you have to understand that they are still controlling you and still having power over you. And when, by releasing it, by forgiving them, you're taking back your freedom interiorly. Like, and, and, and honestly, this forgiveness is incredibly hard. I don't want to diminish that because the, you know, Proportionate to the pain that you feel, it becomes incredibly difficult to forgive. What I would encourage you to do is if you're struggling with that, at least want to forgive. Even if you don't feel capable of it right now, say, I want to get to the place where I can forgive them. Even if I feel no, no spark or glimmer of that right now, I want to want to forgive them. So just start wherever you are, but just want to want to forgive them until you feel that spark of forgiveness growing and ask for God's help. Because again, as someone said earlier, like we, we can't do this humanly speaking. Like it takes an act of grace in our souls to step out of that endless ring of vengeance mm -hmm. and hatred and, and mutually assured destruction into the higher order of the kingdom of God, which really is the kingdom of peace. You know, if you look at like the, the word Jerusalem, it comes from, it's a word for the city of peace, which is kind of ironic considering yes. how plagued Jerusalem has been with conflict. 
But like the new Jerusalem that we see coming down from heaven in the book of Revelation is a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of forgiveness, a kingdom of reconciliation. Um, and and again, if you're not there yet, at least want to want to. Amen. Yeah, Heaven the desire me. to desire is the desire itself, as St. Augustine says. And, and St. Thomas Aquinas tells us in this area of forgiveness, he says that if we cannot do it personally, like we just can't muster the strength to forgive someone, we must, we must, like you're saying, want to want it, desire to desire it. And we we pray that prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us with the church, with the body of Christ as a whole. And therefore, God sees our intention and he He will forgive us, you know, but that doesn't let us off the hook. There's two ways to forgive, no matter what. One is to grant pardon to the one who seeks it or even the one who doesn't seek it. And then second, the more perfect way, St. Thomas Aquinas says, as you just pointed out, JP2, is to seek out the offender to grant him pardon. He's St. Thomas Aquinas says that's perfect charity, perfect forgiveness. And I love it. You look at Christ. Christ exemplifies this perfectly because if you look at the account of the good thief in the gospels, except for Luke, both the criminals that are flanking Jesus are reviling and rebuking him. But then something happens along the way. Something happens where this one criminal has a change of heart. And we we have to ask why I believe it's because Jesus said, father, forgive them for they know not what they do while he's being nailed to the cross. And this guy, listen to what he says to the other criminal. He says, stop rebuking him. This guy's innocent and we're under the same sentence as him. Okay. Number one, he knows that Jesus is innocent. How? Because he knows who Jesus is. He's heard him preach at some point. He's seen him in action at some point. He knows his innocence. But the second thing is kind of wild. He then says, Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Which means he knows that Jesus preached on the kingdom. He knows that Jesus has a kingdom. He knows that Jesus is a king. Now, this is very interesting. When you look at this whole thing, I think that Jesus saw this guy in the crowd and he knew that his words touched this guy and made a little impression on his heart, but not enough to convert him then. And so he begged the father that he would be crucified right next to that guy. Mm. He sought him out. He chased after him. He was crucified right next to him. Why? So he sought him, He sought the offender out to grant him pardon, to grant him charity, to grant him forgiveness. And what happens, just like with the Muslim who tried to kill JP2? Conversion. So we have to ask ourselves, why with the old laws and an eye for an eye, a tooth for tooth, and then Jesus raises it to this unparalleled, almost impossible level of forgiving your enemies? Why? Because John, you said it earlier, for the healing of ourselves, so we can, and as you said, Sam, so that it takes up no more rent space in our head, so we can actually be healed and whole, but also for the sake of the other person, because we want them, no matter how badly they've hurt us, to be in heaven with us whole yeah. and complete and reconciled because that is the greatest glory ever. That is the greatest joy ever is when you can stand side by side with your enemy in the per beyond those pearly gates before the Lord. And you guys are worshiping God. That's amazing. Amen. 
Well, I'm grateful. I really appreciate it. I think this is is excellent. And I think it gives us grounds for another episode on forgiveness, on how to practice forgiveness rightly and how to understand forgiveness rightly, maybe some false um, ideas of forgiveness. We'll have to come back and talk about that because we're at a spot in our episode where it's time to answer the question. So everyone, we do enjoy this part of the episode where we get to answer a question from one of our listeners. If you are listening to this and you have a question for us, please shoot it to us at podcast at catholicgentleman.com. Just drop it in there or click on the link in the show notes and send us that uh, question. We would love to hear it and we'd love to answer it on air. If you uh, want to actually hear yourself on air, go ahead and record yourself and send it to us and we'll actually play that recording back. So if you liked what we talked about on uh, your enemies destroying your life and how to... uh, uh, be aware of that, uh, why that's happening to us, definitely head over to Catholic Gentleman Plus. We're going to go into two times more content uh, live now as this episode uh, goes out. So the question for today, let's listen to it and then we can respond. How do I give a genuine apology and keep from acting out my non-relationship building patterns in the future? Can you gentlemen help me to give a genuine apology so I do not continue my patterns in the future? or if you can give a direction or guidance in where to search for answers? Yeah, so what a perfect question uh, for this episode on the power of seeking an apology and being the person that is apologizing. I think it's such a great point because to be done well and to be done rightly, that takes uh, a lot of courage and it takes a lot of preparation, um, you know, to... uh, especially depending on the offense. So Sam, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that question about, um, you know, making genuine apologies. And then he said, breaking this non-relationship pattern, which I can only assume means that he has failed to apologize uh, frequently in the past and therefore has been losing relationships. So that's, that's how I'm interpreting that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, A few just basic principles and guidelines, I would say. Um, one is, uh, yeah, swallow your, swallow your pride. Like it's going to hurt. It's going to sting, but see that as part of your penance. Like just see that as part of your reparation for hurting this person. Second, what I would strongly encourage is acknowledge the impact. Like I know I did this and it had this effect on you. It, it hurt you. It may, you know, you felt betrayed, like, etc. Like name the impact, at least as far as you can tell that it had on them. Um, so fully acknowledge what you did, acknowledge the impact, um, and then listen for, don't expect an apology, okay? You're not apologizing, apologizing in order to get forgiveness, okay? I think this is really important. Yes. You're apologizing without condition, Yeah. okay? Like, they may not forgive you. That's on them. But you do your part in acknowledging what you did Acknowledging the impact, uh, expressing remorse for that, you know, uh, acknowledging that it was wrong and, and you never want to do that again. Um, but I would also I would also emphasize um, that uh, listen for ways that you can improve in the future. So if and once if they're open to the discussion, if they're open to the discussion, they may not be they may to be too angry or too hurt or whatever. But if they're open and say, how can I improve in the future? Like, how can I do this better? And use it as an opportunity to grow uh, yourself. And, and 
So those are just a few guidelines. Um, but I would definitely emphasize, like, don't expect an apology. They may not, they may not give you that. This is not a transaction. Okay. You're, you're genuinely repenting regardless of what they do. Um, and then it's on them what they do with that. Yeah. Yeah. What a great answer. I really appreciate that, Sam. Devin, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's fantastic. Those are great nuggets of wisdom and counsel. I don't really have much to add, except I would say that um, to that point about owning what you've done, let's just face it, in nearly every situation where there's a disagreement, where there's an infraction, where there's a problem, there are two sides to the story. If it, it, you know, justice involves relationships, it involves people, it's always in relationship to people. So injustice is the same. It's always in relationship. This is the key. The other person is always, we're going to always feel like they did something wrong, mm-hmm. you know, that mm-hmm. because we're right. Right. <laughs> but I think that this is the key is even if you have 1% fault, culpa in the matter, you must, like you're saying, Sam, own that 1% specifically. You must identify it and you must name that and without naming their 99%, without naming their 50%. The worst thing to do is when you say, I'm sorry, but you did this. That's the worst thing ever. You might as well just not even ask for forgiveness. The second thing I would say is back to what I said earlier is instead of saying, I'm sorry, retaining all the control that this is just, I'm stating how I feel, my emotions, it is far more vulnerable and far more meaningful to the other person when you ask, will you forgive me? Because I'm putting all the power in the person that I've wounded to for them to decide. And I found that 10 out of 10 times, the other person says, Yes, I'll forgive you, you know, and, and especially in our family, this is big in my marriage. I claim that 15% because it's always her fault, right? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But I, I claim my percentage fully. I'm specific in that. And I ask her for, to forgive me and no strings attached. You know, I, like you're saying, Sam, I do not expect her to give me that hug or that embrace or get something out of it. This is simply because I care for her own sake. I want her to be free of it. I don't want her to have to ruminate over it. I don't want her have to be vengeful or to blame. I want her to be free. So I think that that's just the two additional points is claim your percent, be specific with that percent, and ask, will you forgive me? Yeah. Well, the only thing that I'm going to add is a little bit of the preparation and then the after effect. And um, I think that everything that was stated is spot on. And um, and I think that it's it's really important for us to um, dialogue about, uh, you know, the gravity of the offense. I think that that's important, right? Because And so I'm going to speak as if it is a grave offense. If it is something that you, like, really did and, and you know you sinned against them, um, it's important that you take that deeply to prayer. And that you uh, talk through the level of your involvement in that, as well as reflecting on, as Sam was saying, the um, the level of effects that it had on that person. Because when you give it the time necessary to like really reflect on the offense and reflect on the sin, that comes out. 
in the apology. That comes out in the seeking of forgiveness. And people can can tell that. If you're just forgiving for some sort of selfish reason, yeah. because you're just, yeah, it's, it's a get out of jail free card, or it's like the right societal thing to do. Maybe other people heard the, the offense. You're sinning again. You're doing it for the wrong reasons, and you're missing the mark. And so I think it's really important for us to take the time necessary to reflect on those uh, on this actual situation or this occurrence. The second thing I want to add is the kind of the after effect of the apology. Trust has been broken. And that is really important uh, to recognize that trust has been broken and trust does not all of a sudden regain in, in mere minutes of an apology, right? That there is going to have to be some sort of um, period of time where you're intentionally working on regaining that trust, assuming that they forgive you, right? Um, and so in that forgiveness, understand that it could be anywhere from a few hours, depending on the offense, to honestly many months. Um, I mean, if we're talking about, you know, sins of the flesh, you committed adultery or something like that. Um, yeah. I mean, this could take this could take years and it could take a frequent um, reconnecting and re um, honestly uh, apologizing or trying to reflect on ways that you can better um, improve that relationship. Right. And so I do think that's really important to think about is that not to just assume that because we have um, asked for forgiveness and received it, that then therefore the offense has going to going to be instantly forgotten. Um, and and prudence dictates on the part of the victim that they uh, have to rebuild that trust with you. And so I think that um, that's something to also be aware of when um, approaching this matter of, of seeking an apology. Yeah, and there's a possibility that you won't be forgiven. You know, and, and so you we have to keep in mind, St. Thomas Aquinas says that we cannot force or coerce our neighbor into reconciliation with us, you know, that they have free will, that is their choice. But let's just say they don't forgive you or they're holding out on you, or like as we know, I know many people who still blame the person, like say in a marriage, for what mm -hmm. they've done. They just won't let it go, which is toxic. This is my wife said this, and I thought this is so powerful. She said, Don't let another sin be the reason why you're rotting in hell mm. let it go yeah you know because the thing is is when we hold on to something that someone else has done to us that infraction that sin and that could be the very their sin could be the very reason why we're in hell because we won't let it go we won't forgive right. that's right and there's practices and ways to heal that as well and hopefully we'll be able to do another episode and not too long on on forgiveness the power of forgiveness and what we need to do to actually experience it and realize it so shifting for the final part of this episode putting on the new man i am very grateful uh for devin being with me and for his his response i wanted to talk about you know what we could do to to like really actively live the power of forgiveness and actually start practicing it right now. And so Devin immediately turned to past offenses and specifics. And I would love Devin for you to dialogue briefly about this, putting on the new man and this challenge that we give to each of our listeners that made it this far in the lesson in this episode <laughs> um, so that they can actually uh, uh, improve yeah. their lives actively. Yeah, I think we all want to be liberated. We all want to experience what it's like to be a real man. We all want to be a saint, really, deep down. That's why we're watching this, listening to this. So I think the way that we can experience liberation is first, and we all have this person, identify that one person 
that when we think of that one person, their face, or they come into the room, they frustrate us, they exacerbate us, they trigger us. We all have that one person. Okay, think of that one person. Now, ask God first to forgive that person for the wrong they did to you. That's the first thing. Ask God to forgive them for the wrong they've done to you. And if you can't let it go, you got to do this repeatedly. Second, ask God to forgive you for the resentment you have for this person, which yeah. is huge. And do that often until it, until you release. And then third, ask God, and this is the hardest one, this is most difficult, is ask God to bless that person that has offended you and to draw them into his sacred heart, to draw them closer. Because frankly, if they are being drawn to the Lord, they will become more open to living a life of virtue, a life of holiness, and even forgiveness, right? That's what we want ultimately. This is really the manly, saintly thing to do. So I first, ask God to forgive your enemy, the person who has offended you or done wrong you. Second, ask God to forgive you for the resentment you have for that person. And then third, ask God to bless that person and draw them close to him. Yeah, amen. I'm just going to add uh, that third point that bringing up the humbling experience that, you know, uh, that's that's approach to God in humility is going to help you grow as a man and honestly help you love that person as God loves them, right? Or at least start on that direction, which is incredibly difficult to do, especially if you're thinking about the same person I am. No, I'm joking. I think, um, I think it's it's really important, it's important to, to take it that far, right? To take it to that level of humility. I also want to take a step back on that second point of asking God to really deliver you or relieve you from, you know, uh, this, this sort of resentment. That might happen 20 times in one day. Like, yes. don't, don't put a limit on that. Um, we are actually reframing and you're really, believe it or not, um, reconnecting neural pathways in your brain that maybe, you know, this bitterness and resentment has made it just, just so easy to come by that it, it takes a while. It takes days, weeks, months, you know, and oftentimes frequently when it comes up to, to take it to prayer, but that act of, of, if you will, you know, redemptive praying and, and, and healing, uh, can, can transform your life and deliver you from, uh, any sort of, um, bondage, uh, or slavery to this, um, you know, this hurt or this offense, which is, is the way we want to be living. So anyways, hopefully uh, you guys can take action on that and sit down. I encourage you to always take out a journal and write these things down and uh, actually try and practice them. So anyways, Devin, thanks so very much for uh, yeah, helping us with that, episode. putting on new man. And for, yeah, yeah, amen. So as we end each of our episodes. Be a man, be a saint. <laughs>